Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'm excited to be exploring with you four ways to revive your prayer life. And we've talked about prayer many other times on this podcast, but sometimes we just need to freshly be reminded of what prayer is meant to be in our lives. And if prayer has become something that has grown stale or kind of pushed the back burner, how do we revive it and make it a core part of what we do with our life and every single day? We've been studying the lives of men and women throughout Christian history who demonstrated the extraordinary power of God in and through their lives. And one common thread that I see when I studied these heroes of the faith is that they had a consistent, thriving, passionate, powerful prayer life. That is honestly very easier said than done in our fast-paced culture today. So we're going to take a look at how to revive our prayer lives. Before we do that, I wanted to remind you that our Set Apart Conference is coming up the first weekend of June, June 3rd through 5th. You can join us at our Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, or anywhere you are in the world via simulcast. This is an amazing event for women of all ages. It's a time to come together with like-minded women, sit at the feet of Jesus, and be spiritually revived and strengthened. There's not a lot of fluff that goes into these weekends. It's very hardcore truth, and yet it is so refreshing and so reviving to the soul. And our theme this year is abide. So we're going to be looking at what it means to abide with Christ in cultivate that intimate friendship with him on a daily practical basis. So this is, again, great for women of all ages, mothers and daughters, groups. If you're interested in joining us, go to setapartgirl.com, click on upcoming events, or just click the link in this podcast description. Again, space is filling quickly. So if you're thinking about joining us this year, I encourage you to go there and get the information as soon as possible. We would love to have you join us. Let's look at four ways to revive your prayer life. Now, as I said, we've talked about prayer and the importance of prayer many times on this podcast, but as a reminder, prayer is not meant to be an afterthought. It is meant to be in the forefront of our lives, in our day, in our relationship with Christ. And as Corey Ten Boom asked the question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It is very, very easy to stick it on as a spare tire and just kind of revert to it in cases of emergency or a crisis. Okay, where is that spare tire? I need that now, as opposed to making it the steering wheel of our lives. It is giving us strength, spiritual, supernatural strength and wisdom and perspective and guidance and direction and clarity on everything else that we're called to. It's like that parable that Jesus told of the man who prepares the banquet feast. And he has this amazing feast available, but so many of the people that he called made excuses. One just got married, one bought a piece of land, one started a business. They all probably felt that their excuses were justified, but they were missing out on the greatest feast they would ever experience. And so often when we neglect to come and sit at the feet of Jesus every day, we are missing out on the very same thing spiritually. Prayer is meant to be this incredible privilege, this incredible intimate communion with the King of all kings. And so often it becomes a burden. It becomes something that we just need to check off on our task list. It becomes something we feel guilty about because we're not doing it. And part of that just flows out of the busyness of our lives. And part of it is that we don't often recognize the important role that prayer plays in every single single aspect of our lives. We recently studied the life of Mary Slessor, and we did a podcast episode recently about her. She was a missionary to Africa, and she has a beautiful quote about the power of prayer in her own life in ministry. She wrote this, 
My life is one long daily hourly record of answered prayer for physical health, for mental overstrain, for guidance given marvelously, for errors and dangers averted, for enmity to the gospel subdued, for food provided at the exact hour needed, for everything that goes to make up my life and my poor service, I can testify with a full and often wonder-stricken awe that God answers prayer. So it is not meant to be a a spare tire. It is meant to be the steering wheel of our lives. And when we make it the steering wheel of our lives, this will be our testimony. God coming through for us with exactly what we need because we're going to the right source to get it. Without prayer, without that intimate communion with him every day, it's like trying to produce fruit, fruit without being connected to the vine. And Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And that is why prayer has to become a priority, but it is a privilege and not a burden. So let's look at four ways that we can revive our prayer lives when they've grown stale or we've become too busy to really make prayer the priority that it should be. The first practical I want to share with you is yielding to a different voice. The greatest threat to our prayer lives isn't actually Satan or external forces or circumstances. The greatest threat to our prayer lives is ourselves. When we're left to our own desires, that selfish agenda, that fleshly part of us takes over and steers our priorities. And the one thing that can deliver us from that fleshly voice that steers us towards selfishness is the power of Christ in us. And that is why Jesus came to this earth. That is why he sacrificed his life, not just to rescue us from our sins, but to live in and through us that triumphant life that we could never live on our own, to subdue the flesh and allow us to live according to the spirit of God rather than the voice of our flesh. First Peter 4.2 says that we are no longer to live the rest of our time on this earth in the flesh to the less of men, but to the will of God. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And 1 Peter 2.4 says, Beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. All throughout scripture, we are told to yield to the voice of God's spirit rather than the voice of our flesh. Now, to most of us, the term flesh is just sort of an outdated word that we don't really understand. But flesh is really just another word for self, that selfish put my own wants first side of us that all of us have. And some of us don't even realize that that part of us exists or how loudly that voice is speaking. But we just make decisions based on our own whims and feelings and desires. We do what makes us feel good in the moment. We follow our our selfish wants. It's very easy to live as a slave to our flesh without knowing that we're doing that, especially if we also go to church and we spend time doing spiritual things. Our culture, even our Christian culture, has a tendency to encourage us to listen to our fleshly side. Things like follow your heart. Don't just think about everybody else. Also think about yourself. What do you want to get out of your life? How can you fulfill your destiny, etc., etc.? That kind of thinking gives a very big stage to the voice of the flesh in our life because when we focus on what we what we want and what's going to make us feel good, we can be sure that the Spirit of God is not the one leading the way. The Bible makes it clear if we yield to the voice of the flesh, we cannot yield to the Spirit of God because the flesh wars against all the things of God. It must be silenced in order for us to deny self and take up our cross and follow in the steps of Jesus. And I love how Ian Thomas put it, and we've, we've used this quote 
before on this podcast, but it's honestly one of my very favorites. He said, the Christian life can only be explained in terms of Jesus Christ. If your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. It is easy to put a Christian label over a fleshly existence, but this life is not meant to be all about us, but about Jesus Christ. When we silence our selfish side, that's when we can really excel at the art of wrestling prayer. Daily life is filled with so many choices to either give into selfish whims or yield to the spirit of God. So many of us are used to just yielding to selfish whims, but Christ is interested in equipping us to put to death the desires of our flesh and awaken us, tune our ears to the voice of his spirit. So a practical example is how we wake up in the morning. When we wake up in the morning, do we think of our day as belonging to us or to him? Do we live as if our time and our decisions are all up to us or up to him? Are we allowing the distractions of the world, those selfish things that pull us to occupy our thoughts and dictate our choices? Or is he our primary pursuit? How are we spending our free time just doing what we feel like doing or what he is calling us to do? Every Christian struggles with selfish habits that need to be remade by the Spirit of God. And this is not so that we sit around and and beat ourselves up over the selfishness that's in our lives, but so that we come to God and say, Lord, I want to be made into your image. I want that voice of selfishness to be silenced in my life. And I want my soul to be awakened to the voice of your spirit so that I can yield to what you are asking me to do. And one of the practical ways to start is how you respond when your morning alarm clock goes off. Are you saying, Lord, this is your day? How do you want me to spend this day? Or are you just saying, what do I want to get out of today? And you know, those of us who are kind of in that habit of giving into the flesh usually want to throw our alarm clock across the room or hit the snooze button a whole bunch of times. And especially if we're setting that alarm so that we can get up for prayer, we will oftentimes find that our prayer life goes into the tank. So we have to be willing to crucify the flesh, that selfish part of us, from the moment that alarm clock goes up, goes off in the morning. And that is something that God can equip us for. If you don't feel like you have the willpower, that's just fine because it's not based on human willpower. And we never will have the human willpower to say no to the voice of our flesh. Only the grace, the power of God working in and through us can silence the voice of our flesh. It says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The more we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit of God, the more we yield to the enabling grace of God within us, the more we begin to operate out of the spirit and not of the flesh. So that is what it means to yield to a different voice. I would encourage you to ask God to show you the moments in your day when you're yielding to the voice of the flesh and ask him for the grace to begin tuning your ears to the voice of his spirit instead. Another practical is to put aside our excuses. Whenever we attempt to take a step forward in our prayer life, our flesh begins making a lot of excuses. It might say things like, oh, come on. It's so extreme and so unnecessary to spend a lot of time praying. Just pray for a few minutes. God will still hear you. And then you can move on to something more fun, like watching a movie or reading a book. And our flesh can be a brilliant debater at times. There's a lot of excuses we come up with. Maybe something like, I'm just too busy. My friends and family expect me to spend time with them. I have school. I have work. I have a job. It's not realistic for me to add prayer into my life. Or 
Some people say, well, I don't pray because I don't want to become legalistic in my Christianity. And I've heard people say that it's actually healthier not to pray because what if I become, what if prayer becomes legalism in my life? And of course, those arguments sound logical. Sometimes they might even sound wise, but those excuses are really just the voice of the flesh, cleverly disguised as common sense or spiritual wisdom. Here is an easy way to recognize the voice of the flesh in your life. Any voice that convinces you to take the easy way out, the selfish, rather than obeying the commands of of God. Denying self, taking up your cross and following him is the voice of the flesh, no matter how wise or clever the argument sounds. Something like, I'm too busy to pray right now. I'm too tired to pray right now. I'm too distracted to pray right now. I just need to get my mind off of anything spiritual. Now, we've all probably heard those excuses, but Paul reminds us in Romans 6.16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So whatever voice we yield to is the voice we are enslaved to. Listening to the voice of our flesh may give us a false sense of freedom because it convinces us that that gives us the ability to do whatever we want to do. But in reality, it's just ensnaring us to our selfish, sinful wants. To excel in wrestling prayer, in thriving prayer, we have to become slaves of God's agenda. So let's make a conscious decision to ignore all of those brilliant sounding excuses. We have to choose to make prayer the highest priority of our lives. As Corey Ten Boom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. And as I've often said to young moms, this doesn't mean you have to sit down at the same time every day and have a two-hour prayer time. When you have little kids or you're in a season of life when that is not practical, you know, what the tendency to do is use that as an excuse to completely remove prayer from your life. Instead, say, God, okay, show me the pockets of time when I can commune with you, when my kids are napping after they go to bed at night, when I'm driving my car, when I'm doing tasks around the house. And that is what I often have to do in the busiest seasons of my life. But God has really convicted me to not let my prayer life fizzle and die simply because I'm in a unique season of life and not to allow the fact that I'm under a lot of pressure in certain areas to be my excuse to not cultivate my prayer life. Because as Jesus said to Mary, that she has chosen the better part and she chose to sit at Jesus' feet, whereas Martha gave into the bustling and the trying to do everything in her own strength. And you can see the results. She was stressed out. She was snapping at other people. And how often do we do that as women when we don't keep Jesus in his rightful place? So it's not meant to be a legalistic thing like, hey, you know, look at how terrible you are at prayer. It's meant to be an invitation to say, how can I find those pockets in my day where I maybe say no to social media or some other fleshly indulgence in order to say yes to the presence of God. And that is when power and strength begins to flow into our lives. The third practical is to find stories that build faith. A lot of times I think our prayer life fizzles because we don't really believe that God answers prayer. And a lot of times in the modern Christian world, we don't hear a lot of stories about God answering prayer. One of the things I love doing is reading Christian biographies, and that is because history is filled with stories of mighty men and women who overcame impossible obstacles through faith in the power of God. And it builds my faith to see how they leaned on God in impossible situations and how God came through for them. Our faith is not going to be built by modern messages that encourage disillusionment with God or singing lackluster worship songs to talk about our disappointment with God. If we want to strengthen our faith building muscles, we need to flood our hearts, our minds, and our souls with reminders of the faithfulness and power of God. 
In Ephesians 1.19, Paul wrote that he desires us to grasp the exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. God has provided mighty power for us as his children. He has called us to perform valiant exploits for his kingdom and his glory. But this power can only be assessed by those who believe. If you find it difficult to grasp the exceeding greatness of his power toward you, I would encourage you to begin reading testimonies or listening to testimonies that glorify the faithfulness of God, whether those are people you know in your life today or men and women from history. If you have heroic Christians in your life who have personally witnessed the power of God, meet with them and ask to hear some of their stories of God's faithfulness. Even if you don't know Christians like that, remember, you have a wealth of inspiration at your fingertips through the books and biographies that have been written about mighty men and women of God throughout history. So a lot of those that we have mentioned on this podcast, Corey Ten Boom and Mary Slessor and Amy Carmichael and Catherine Booth and Gladys Aylward, George Mueller, Sabina Wormbrandt, those are just a few. But wow, what an incredible wealth, a treasure trove of, of spiritual inspiration is available when we go after stories that build our faith. And the last suggestion that I have for reviving your prayer life is to keep a prayer journal and get specific with your prayers. A lot of people are afraid to pray for specifics because they're afraid that if God doesn't answer the prayer, they'll become disillusioned with God. And that's very typical thinking among modern Christians. We're too afraid to get specific with our prayers because we're worried that God won't answer us. It's easier to pray vague general prayers and not get disappointed. But specific praying is actually a key to building faith. It's the way that Christ asks us to pray. He talks about relentless, practical, specific, wrestling prayer all throughout scripture. When we are willing to make a specific request of God, our faith grows as we see him come through for us. And one of the ways I have found to do this is to keep a prayer journal and write down specific prayers that I'm bringing before God and then wrestle in prayer for them on a daily basis until the breakthrough comes. I find it so powerful to record every answer to prayer, small or large, in that journal, and then look back on those things a few months or years later and see the faithfulness of God in my life. Whenever I've kept a prayer journal and then revisited later to see those incredible stories of answered prayer, it builds my faith for whatever struggle I'm walking through right now. And Eric and I personally found that we didn't understand true prayer until we began to pray specifically. Like Charles Spurgeon said, there is a general kind of praying which fails for lack of precision. It's as if a regiment of soldiers would all fire off their guns anywhere. Possibly somebody would be killed, but the majority of the enemy would be missed. And when we pray broad, vague, general prayers, we often don't see God doing much in our life. But when we pray for very specific burdens and needs, that is when we see his faithfulness and our faith is built stronger. Martin Luther wrote this, no one can believe how powerful prayer is and what it can affect except those who have learned it by experience. Whenever I have prayed earnestly, I have been heard and have obtained more than I prayed for. God sometimes delays, but he always comes. So if you keep a prayer journal and you are daring enough to bring your specific requests continually before God, this will become your testimony as well. Now, a caveat is this, is we need to be specifically praying for things that we know God has placed on our heart to pray about. So if we're just praying for selfish desires, we're not really surrendered to Christ and we haven't laid our 
life on the altar and said, not my will, but yours be done, then oftentimes our praying will be praying amiss, as it says in scripture, to spend those answers upon our own fleshly desires. But if we are yielded to the spirit of God, if he has control over our lives, if we have laid everything on the altar before him, if we have said, Lord, I am not my own, I've been bought with the price. And that is the attitude of our soul. And we cultivate time in his presence so that he can put his burdens upon our heart. Those are the specific prayers we are meant to take before him. So in summary, we've talked about yielding to a different voice, silencing the voice of our our flesh, saying yes to the voice of God's spirit, even in practical small ways like how we respond to our morning alarm clock. Secondly, overcoming those excuses that sound so wise, but keep us from building a thriving prayer life. And even though our circumstances may be hindering us from prayer looking a specific way. For example, if you have a lot of little kids at home, you're not going to probably have the same amount of time at one stretch to spend in prayer as someone who didn't have any responsibilities in their life. However, prayer should not fizzle and die. God will show us creative ways to overcome those excuses and make prayer a priority even when we're in a very busy season of life. And I can attest to that from personal experience from the time I had four children under the age of four all the way up to now where I have six children and I'm in full-time ministry and we homeschool, etc. I know that when I go after prayer and say, Lord, show me creative ways to make this a priority, he always answers that prayer. And then we talked about reading or finding stories that build our faith strong so that we're praying with faith and not just kind of going through the motions of prayer. And then we talked about the importance of a prayer journal and getting specific with our praying. So I hope through these four suggestions, there will be something that God touches your heart with that can help revive your prayer life. And I want to leave you with this final thought. If you feel that prayer has kind of fizzled in your life, It's really easy to feel like you have to pay penance for that and say and think, oh, I've got to start all the way over in my relationship with God. And my prayer life will just be sort of lackluster for months now because I've fallen off the I've fallen off the wagon when it comes to prayer. But one thing I've learned is when I've realized I've gone through a season like that, just simply to pick up right where I left off to say, God, forgive me for letting this fall to the back burner. I'm going to move forward with you right now today. And he is waiting to meet you there. He's not saying, well, I'm going to withhold my grace from you and make your prayer life really dull because, you know, make you pay penance for these months or these years you may have missed. He's he's ready to step right back into a thriving, intimate communion with you. And all we have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. I'm starting fresh today by your grace. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more practicals on building a thriving prayer life, a thriving relationship with Christ, please visit our website at setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.